my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. I'd like to preach to you today based on our gospel reading. We just heard the Gospel of John. You know, the, the Gospel of John starts with John's claim that Jesus came into this world full of grace and truth. John 1, uh, verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And now, as the Gospel draws to its conclusion, Jesus stands before Pilate on trial. In chapter 18, Jesus says, I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. So from the beginning to the end, this gospel is telling us that if you seek the truth, look to Jesus. If you are looking for the truth, look to Jesus. He came full of grace and truth, and he bears witness to the truth. He is the king of truth. My kingdom is not of this world, but I have come to bear witness to to the truth, Jesus says. Pilate is an interesting character. He's not really interested in truth. He's interested in power. He's interested in staying in power. He was the governor of Judea, that territory of the Jews. He served under the emperor of Rome. Uh, Tiberius was the emperor at the time. And Pilate uh, did not think very fondly of his Jewish subjects, and the feeling was mutual. Um, Based on some history that I've read, there was tension between Pilate and the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders. Philo of Alexandria, who was a Jewish scholar living at the time of Jesus in the first century, he wrote this about Pilate. He said, Pilate was known for his bribery, his injustice, executing people without trial, grievous cruelty, and a vindictive and furious temper. That's from Philo, uh, first century Jew. Now, some people think Philo probably exaggerating a little bit as a Jew uh, who doesn't think too fondly about Pilate. He might be exaggerating just a bit, but it's clear from just Scripture, what we read about Pilate and his interaction with Jesus and the religious leaders, We see that Pilate was not really a a man concerned with pursuing what is good and noble and true. Even though he thinks Jesus is innocent, in the end, he sentences Jesus to be crucified. And why does he do, do that? What's the motive behind that? So he doesn't think it's true that Jesus is guilty, but he still condemns Jesus to death. Why? Well, the answer comes a little bit later on in John 19, verse 12. The religious leaders who wanted Jesus to be crucified, they say to Pilate, if you set him free, that means that you are not the emperor's friend. Anyone who claims to be a king is a rebel against the emperor. So that was the charge. That's how they got Pilate to crucify Jesus, to say, he's saying that he's a king. A king means rebellion against the political authority. And if you don't squash this now, then the emperor's going to hear about it and you'll be in conflict with 
your boss will be in conflict with the emperor. Anyone who claims to be a king is a rebel against the emperor. So Pilate sets aside the question of truth and what is right and goes ahead and sentences Jesus to death on the cross. His ultimate concern is really power and maintaining his power, his position of power. There's a lesson here, I think, for us about power in this interaction, this story between Jesus and Pilate. The lesson is that power becomes twisted, it becomes evil, it becomes corrupt when it is pursued as an end in itself, when people are just in it for the power in any sort of position of responsibility or authority. Those who are in power ought to serve a higher cause, the cause of And by the way, the founders of our government, I think, understood this. That the power of government ought to serve the cause of truth. That's why we have in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all people are created equal. All men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the government is there to what? Secure those rights. The government is in power, is in power to secure these rights which are based on truth which come to us outside of ourselves. They come from the Creator. So that ideal is at the heart of our nation. Power ought to serve the cause of truth. People are accountable to a truth that's higher than themselves, truth that comes ultimately from the Creator. Well, um, Pilate wasn't interested in serving the cause of truth or in ultimate truth. He brushes that question aside, the question of truth, and he says cynically, what is truth? I'm done with this issue of truth. And the truth that you represent, Jesus, doesn't concern me here. I just want to make sure that this potential rebellion is squashed and I can... um, I don't have to be bothered with this Jewish controversy anymore. You know, in many ways today, people brush aside the issue of truth, the question of truth. Some people are like Pilate. Um, for them, the, the driving motive of their life is not really what is true, but you know, how can I get ahead? And um, how can I maintain my position? Or how can I get a position? How can I just get ahead, no matter the cost? It's about power and pragmatism. So the question of truth and goodness kind of brushed to the side in that mentality. Other people in our culture have adopted a philosophical position called relativism, which we've all heard about, which says that my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. There is no ultimate truth at all. Uh, Truth is relative. Of course, that's intellectually incoherent because that claim that truth is relative is a truth claim. Right? It's a universal truth claim. <laughs> so it's intellectually incoherent. And besides, if everyone says my truth is your truth and your truth is my truth, there's no standard of truth outside of the self, then that's a recipe for chaos, moral chaos, which is kind of where we're at today. Relativism can set aside the question of truth, pragmatism and power, power for its own sake. And then, of course, there's hedonism. 
and consumerism in our culture, which says life is about pleasure, life is about entertainment, life is about consumption. And let's not get too serious. Let's not think too deeply. Let's just keep the fun going and the dollars flowing. And that's kind of, it's easy to get sucked into that in our culture. So the question of truth often gets suppressed through relativism and pragmatism and hedonism and consumerism. We could go on and on with a lot of isms. But it won't go away. The question of truth will not go away. And oftentimes the question comes to the surface in, in really difficult situations. Um, when, when the, the normal course of life is sort of broken, either through tragedy or through really wonderful things. But oftentimes it's tragedy that raises questions about truth. You know, think about this terrible thing that happened last week at Catholic Supply. Um, that raises all sorts of questions about truth. And we all say that that was evil. That was an evil act. Who could possibly deny that that was evil? But what is the truth about human beings that makes murder and that kind of assault evil? There's a truth there about what it means to be human that makes that evil. What is the truth about the human condition and the human heart that can become so twisted and corrupted that can lead somebody to do that. It raises, those sorts of things raise the question of truth. And so it doesn't go away. It persists. And Jesus says in this conversation with Pilate, if you want to know the truth, listen to me. You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth, Jesus says, listens to my voice. If you want to know the truth, listen to me, Jesus said. He is a king, but it's not a kingdom of coercion. It's not a kingdom of political power. It's a kingdom of truth. And it's a kingdom that has endured far beyond the kingdom of Rome. Praise God. And will endure for all eternity. Jesus says, I've come to bear witness to the truth. Well, what sort of truth, Jesus, are we talking about here? Well, the truth about God. The truth about us. The truth about our greatest problem and our greatest hope. And you can see that all through the teachings of Jesus. All through this gospel, he is teaching these things. The truth about God, the truth about us, the truth about our problem, the truth about our, the, the solution and our ultimate hope. And a great place to look at, at this is the famous uh, chapter, John chapter 3, where Jesus is teaching all these kinds of truths. John chapter 3, the conversation that he had with Nicodemus. John 3.16, Jesus tells us a central truth about God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Central truth about God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We've heard it thousands of times. John Stott makes a comment in one of his books about this idea of God's self-giving in Christ. John Stott says, God could have sent a man, God could have sent a prophet like he did in the Old Testament. And we would have been grateful for God to send a prophet. Uh, God could have sent an angel 
like he did to Mary at the Annunciation. And we would have counted it a privilege. But in either case, whether he sent a prophet or an angel, he would have been sending us a third party since men and angels are creatures that God has made. But in sending us his own son, who shares his divine nature, he's not sending a creature. He's sending himself. He's giving himself. This is radical self-giving love. This is what Jesus teaches us about God. God loves us that much to give us his son, who is one with him, who shares his divine nature. And then Jesus goes on in John 3.16 to tell us more truth that we need to hear. Here's our greatest need, not to perish, (laughs) but to have eternal life. The great danger that we're in is perishing, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And what we really need is this life, this life of God, the eternal life of God, which we can be in communion with now and which lasts forever. Relationship with God now and forever. The great danger is to fall away from this eternal life, perishing. But the way of escape, the way of salvation, is to believe. To believe in Jesus, the Son, whom God sent. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the truth that has captured our heart. This is the truth that we, as a church, are called to proclaim over and over again. And then Jesus goes on in John 3, later on in this passage, he says, This about the human condition. Here is the difficult truth about the human condition. This is the judgment, he says, that the light has come into the world. He is the light of the world. The light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Their works are evil. So we don't want our evil deeds exposed. We flee from the light of God into the cover of darkness. We don't want our evil deeds exposed. We don't want to face up to our own evil and sin. Remember hearing this earlier this year, there was a news report about the city of Amsterdam, you know, which is known as like Sin City in Europe, infamous for the red light district. And um, the city of Amsterdam has appointed a, get this, a night mayor. The job of the night mayor is to try to keep the peace between the millions of tourists who come in, millions of tourists coming into Amsterdam each year to visit the brothels and the cannabis shops and the bars and to party all night. He want, he, the job of the nightmare is to keep the peace between these tourists and the residents who are getting fed up with it. But they know the money needs to keep flowing, so they've appointed a night manager. It all happens under the cover of darkness. Why does so much evil happen under the cover of darkness at night? Because the people engaging in this activity know in their heart of hearts that their deeds are evil. And so they run from the light. That's what Jesus says is the problem of the human condition. That's a dramatic example, of course, but what's going on in Amsterdam. But all of us, all of us have sinned and none of us would want our evil deeds exposed in the light. Our evil deeds, our evil thoughts, exposed for all to see. We run from that. That's why we resist the light. But then Jesus goes on uh, to say in John 3, or actually he says it prior to John 3.16, he talks about being lifted up like the 
serpent in the wilderness is lifted up. And when people looked upon the serpent who was lifted up, they were saved during the time of Moses, during the plague of serpents that were to come. Jesus is talking about being lifted up on the cross. And then later on in John, I think it's, um, I don't remember the reference, it might be John 12, Jesus says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And so, what is it that draws us out of the darkness of sin and guilt and shame into the light of God's glory and grace? What is it that softens a human heart? What is it that convinces us that God's grace is better than the fleeting pleasure of sin? It is Jesus lifted up on the cross. It is the cross of Christ that softens people's hearts. And it is at the cross that Jesus, above all, it's at the cross that Jesus bears witness to the truth. He says, I've come to bear witness to the truth right before he's condemned. And he enters in his passion and he's crucified. I've come to bear witness to the truth. And that word witness, we get the word martyr from that word witness. And a martyr is the most convincing witness because a martyr is willing to die for what they believe. Somebody's willing to die for what they believe. You take them seriously, don't you? A martyr is the strongest kind of witness to truth. A martyr dies for the truth he believes in. So it's at the cross that Jesus bears witness. He bears witness to the great sin and evil of a world that is fleeing from the light of God, a world that is turned from God, but also he bears witness to the God who loves this world, to the infinite sacrificial love of God for us. And God raised him from the dead to vindicate that Jesus really is the truth, that what he said and who he is is true. He is the truth. And his kingdom grows as this truth is believed and proclaimed. Jesus says in this passage, as towards the end of this passage, as the conversation with Pilate winds down, he says, whoever listens to, or whoever is of the truth, listens to my voice. That's another important theme in the Gospel of John, listening to Jesus. He said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. They hear my voice, they recognize my voice, and they follow me. So friends, if you're seeking the truth, listen to his voice. Continue listening to his voice. Praise God for his grace in calling you into the fold as his sheep and that you've heard the voice of Jesus and you've come to this place of trust and faith in him. Praise God for the work that he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But continue to listen to the voice of Christ in Scripture, in prayer. Keep listening to him. Listen to him in a world that says there is no truth. Listen to the voice of Christ. Listen to the voice of Christ in a world that says, well, if there is truth, then it's in you. And you've got to discover it in yourself. 
in a culture that trains us to seek pleasure and entertainment, to not search seriously for truth, in times of despair and doubt and difficulty, listen for his voice. Listen to the one who bears nail-scarred hands and whose side was pierced, whose body was bruised, whose blood was spilt to bear witness to the truth that saved us. And let's continue to proclaim this truth to a world in desperate need of knowing it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come into this world, a world that is in desperate need of your redemption, a broken world that is in need of repair, broken people who are in need of healing. And we thank you that you have done that work in our lives. Help us to pay closer attention to your voice of truth in this age that we live. And help us, O Christ, give us opportunities to bear witness to the truth and point people to you, your cross and your resurrection for our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.